A fault is a weakness, a defect, a fracture. Faults divide, tear, and consume. Here in the city of Chester's chasm, we struggle to maintain that precarious balance over the precipice in the earth, in our lives, and in our hearts. This story is about four teenagers with faults of their own. The fault between my faith and freedom. The fault between my family and identity. The fault between my choice and my obligation. The fault between my life and death. As these fractures grow, we stand at the edge and ask what must we sacrifice to sate the void's endless hunger? Is it possible that the answer lies within all our faults? Hello and welcome to All Our Faults, a Monster Hearts 2 actual play podcast. I am Mistress Winter, the MC for the series. This is the fourth and last of our Faulty Flashpoint prologue series. Here we meet Michael, a lonely teenager hungry for excitement in all the wrong places. At Club Haven, he finds more excitement than he can handle, and that may change his life forever. Content warnings for this episode include ingestion of blood, sex, underage drinking, and violence. The time codes will be in the show notes. Please stay tuned after the show for more information on how you might support us. We hope you enjoy. Faulty Flashpoint. Just his type. Hi, Michael. Hello. The night in Chester's chasm is as dark and gloomy as it can be in the summer. The clouds overhead are just laden with rain that has yet to fall from the skies. And the earth beneath your feet is just as thirsty as you might be. So there's a a vibe that is carrying you toward Haven. The bouncer waiting by the door is your typical muscled yeti of a guy. Muscles pressing against the very tight shirt that he wears. The door next to him is just throbbing in its threshold as the music inside shoves against it impulses with the music. There are a couple of individuals who stop by the bouncer. He checks IDs and then opens the door and allows them in. You see when the door opens, there is this black light that just pours out in flashes from inside. The bouncer settles back down onto his stool, waiting the next customer. I pull out my fake ID and hand it to him and look as confident as I can. You hand him the ID and he takes it. He scrutinizes it. You can even make out that he recognizes this as a fake. In fact, he almost seems tempted to say something. 
but then he takes a good look at you. Would you mind describing what you look like, what you're wearing? Yes, I am wearing very low-cut black parachute pants, probably some sort of skimpy, visible underwear with a high line so he can see, a tight mesh shirt and a thin collar. My curled hair is well taken care of, so it's got luster. It's not too frizzy and maybe an earring and uh, healthy helping of eyeliner and mascara. After getting a good look, he hands you back your ID, holds up a finger, motioning for you to wait, and pulls out his phone. He snaps a quick picture, texts, waits. There's a chime in response, and he nods and opens the door. Thank you. As you pass by him, you think that he mutters something to the effect of, you're not going to want to thank me later. Nevertheless, you pass that threshold and that guardian and enter into a realm of dark hedonism where every sense is assaulted and excited. Lights of different brilliance wash over the throng of dancers and bar flies. Music thrums through the air, making your skin vibrate. The smell of different colognes and perfumes and whatever drinks are being served all flood in and mix. This is amazing. I want to go and dance. That's what I'm going to do. The party is in full swing. The dance floor, the lowest portion of this club, inset into the floor just a bit more than the area surrounding where people can sit at tables and enjoy drinks. It is chock full of people writhing and twisting and moving to this pounding beat that races faster and faster as the music picks up to its climax. I'm gonna join the throng and move in time with them. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but it sure looks fun. The DJ up on the stage, this woman with spiky white hair has one headphone up to her ear and is just bouncing to the beat she's creating and putting out there. Her fingers dancing across the, the dials, and knobs, and as she works her magic. And everybody's just eating it up. This is so much better than a fucking high school dance. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my goodness. And nobody's even touching. No one even really tries to touch each other, but they all do. This is so different and awesome. The concept of personal space does not seem to exist on this dance floor. People are moving, they're swimming around each other through that space, coming inches, centimeters, millimeters within each other before dancing away, sometimes rubbing up against each other, but no one seems to mind. Everyone's just lost in the moment. It's like turning to liquid. Very much so. And in this sea of bodies, a figurative ship emerges 
a tall, muscular, but lean, dark-haired man swims out of that pool of people, locks eyes with you as his body serpentines to the music, and his gaze just simply invites you to dance with him, to move with him. Well, then I guess I simply must. This is nice. You're not sure how long you dance with this man. Your body's dangerously close, but never quite touching. This teasing, flirtatious, yet very zen dance that you're in. But it seems like it goes on forever and is the shortest thing you've ever experienced at the same time. I have never felt like this before. Wow. Who are you? I'm Angelo. And you are pretty thing. Michael. Well, Michael. Can I get you a drink? Sure, yeah. Very good. He gives a kind of come-hither gesture and beckons you off the dance floor toward the bar. Okay. A woman works the bar, her dreads dancing about her shoulders as she zips back and forth up and down the bar, serving the thirsty customers who bombard her bar. She is graceful and swift in her work, seeming to pour or mix several drinks all at the same time, practically dancing up and down behind the bar herself. Angelo approaches, keeping an eye on you until the last moment when he has to turn away toward the bartender. In that moment, you feel a different set of eyes on you. And this feeling that washes over you is one of danger, but not the cold, frightening type of danger. The hot, make your knees weak kind of danger. I turn around, but where is it coming from somewhere? Following the feeling, you spin around. No one in particular is watching you, so must not be on this level. So your eyes are drawn upward. Just above the bar is a railing that marks the edge of the VIP balcony. Shit. Did I ever tell you about this bar in Providence, Rhode Island? I don't think so. You just reminded me. Oh my god. There's this gay bar. And back when we were in college, we used to go there because we were near Providence. And it had three floors. And it was just like this. So you'd walk in and actually up to the second floor which had a square cutout with a railing. And that's where the DJ would sit on the side. And all of like the middle-aged and like old gay men would like stand and leer at what I used to call the Sarlacc pit, where there was a box in the middle. And like all of the twinks would dance on the dance floor on the first floor. And all the like old men would like stand and like stare down at them, like dancing. <laughs> that's what this made me think of. That's why I had to laugh. That's, that's amazing. Which, that's perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I could bring a little touch of ironic reality into yeah, this. Yeah, amazing. At the railing stands an older gentleman clad in this dark satin suit. The only color that you can make out as lights pass over his form is the dark purple tie 
with a tie tab that sparkles very briefly. He is smoking a cigar and he is watching you through the smoke that wafts from the cherry at its end. As I look up, I'll make eye contact and if he lingers looking at me, looking at him, I'll slowly raise my hand and wave and then go back to looking at the bar. If Angelo's gaze was intense, this man's is tenfold. You can still feel it burning into your skull, into your core, as you wait for the drink. Well, for once I feel seen. Huh. Wow. Angelo will bring your drinks over and move over to a standing table. I'll I'll follow. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. So, I've never seen you before. No, no, um, this is my first time. Oh, a virgin, if I may. <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. I like to be people's first time. Well, lucky me. So, uh, you are liking it yet? Yeah, this is fun. And I'll take a sip of my drink. What did he get me? If he wants to be devious, he could have gotten me a Long Island. Not a Long Island. Or did he get me a gay water, a vodka soda? Is, is that really what that is? <laughs> that, that's what bartenders have called it uh, and what I call it because I think it's hilarious. Gay a gay water. <laughs> I think that he got you an old-fashioned. Fancy. Mom loves those. Thanks for the drink, by the way. We are enjoying ourselves, are we not? Yeah, definitely. Then, of course. Maybe you can buy next round, yeah? Sure, yeah. Another individual steps up to the table, strategically placing themselves at an angle towards you and pointedly ignoring Angelo's existence. You are being invited up to the VIP section. Really? Follow me. Angelo is aghast and reaches out to the guy. Hey, what do you think your problem is? The man simply turns and eyes Angelo. You know better. Angelo cowers at that command. I feel special. Thanks again for the drink, and I'll go. The man with the invite nods, watches Angelo for just a moment longer before leading the way to the stairs, leading to the second floor. You ascend to that very private sanctuary for the privileged. You can already tell that there are plush chairs and couches that are much more comfortable than the stools and few places to sit downstairs. A couple of nicely lit tables provide surfaces for drinks, food, etc. And everyone up here, as few as they are, has an elevated level of fashion. You might even recognize a model or two lounging here and there. The man who invited you up directs your attention to the center couch on which reclines that man you saw at the railing. And uh, I'll raise my hand again and wave like I did before. There is a bit of a, a smirk underneath his well-trimmed beard and he gently pats the couch next to him. Okay, and I'll sit. His arm slips around the back of the couch, around your shoulders. Good evening. 
with a shiver down my back, I'll turn my head to him and go, uh, Hi, I'm Michael. Mm, like the angel. You look like an angel. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Tell me, does this angel fly or does this angel fall? I think he falls. Mm. There's no point in being good all the time. Mm. Good, bad, these are mere words. I'm more interested in choice, freedom, privilege. Oh? Hmm. Does all of these bring me pleasure? What brings you pleasure? I don't know, but I'd love to learn. I'm glad to hear you say that. Can you teach me? Oh, I am the best teacher. And all the while, his hand has begun to creep over your shoulder, touching very lightly, stroking your skin through that fishnet top. And uh, Michael's going to find it very hard to concentrate. Michael is absolutely going to allow him to do this. And uh, I suppose his hands will wander too. Encouraged by your subtle yet positive response, the caressing becomes more apparent and his nails even begin to dig in <sighs> just so lightly as to cause the slightest twinge of pain. <sighs> of course, I also like pleasure in pain. I don't seem to mind it either. Is there somewhere else we could go? In time. He will, over the next hour, work you up to just a frenzy of hormones. You're using your sex move. You know, one of the things about Monster Hearts for the MC, it specifically states to use their moves against them. Amazing. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> You're using my sex move. Yes! This is hilarious. Oh, it's so great. Mm -hmm. oh. Over the next hour, it's a tease. Building you up to this massive frenzy. Your skin practically burning with the need to be touched, to be fondled, to be hurt. Anything to solidify this sensation. At which point reading how your body is reacting. He whispers to one of his men who nods, disappears, and returns to lead both of you down the stairs and out a side entrance. We are going somewhere more comfortable. Oh, okay. Perhaps where we can reveal ourselves more openly. Okay, sure. I'd like that. You are helped into this black SUV that has pulled around to the side door. It is a fine interior, has a little tray for drinks, which he offers during your ride. I don't say this out loud, but even mom would be impressed. This man is moneyed. And emblazoned on the, the glasses is a stylized V. Looks very Victorian. I don't even know his name. Now's a weird time to ask. 
It is a little weird, but uh, it seems to be the customs that you've rolled into somehow. You arrive out front of this large building, floors and floors of luxury condos and apartments in a very scenic part of Chester's Chasm. The doors open for you and the man steps out behind you. The SUV is driven away as the man walks in front of you, clearly asserting he is the one in charge, the one to lead this evening. He walks through the doors with such ease and confidence. The man at the security desk nods, and it's the first time you hear, Good evening, Mr. Vega. There's some unseen security procedure that is enacted, and a set of elevator doors are opened, seemingly without instruction. Vega stops just outside the elevator, motions you in. And I'll walk in. The elevator lifts with such grace and fluidity that you barely even feel the shift of gravity. It is that clean. And even when it comes to rest at the appointed floor, you're not even sure that you moved. The doors come open, and there is the first time you lay eyes on the entrance to Vega's apartment. It is this dark hallway with water features and lights that bring out this dark and almost sinister nature. Wow, that's... you have an incredible apartment. Thank you. I have done well for myself. And he will lace your arm through his and lead you to this large, opulent study office all things in one as there are walls of books. There's this ornate desk made of dark wood, comfortable chairs, large windows that look out over the city, creating this beautifully surreal portrait. It's really pretty from up here. Yes, it is. You know that when he says that, he's not looking at the city. And I'll turn from looking out the window to looking at him. When you turn, you find that he is standing right on top of you. Oh, uh, hi. His hand is at your throat. <sighs> His nail gently biting at your skin. Sweet thing. I'll stroke his arm and look him in the eye. His gaze is mesmerizing, and those eyes are pools of pitch black that seem to grow larger as you gaze and begin to swallow your consciousness. You're amazing. You can be too. Teach me. In a flash, his hands washing over you, ripping away what little that you've worn this evening. <sighs> you find yourself forced against the desk. Oh. His clothing is coming undone in those brief blinks of an eye, and he is on top of you. He is in you. He is consuming you. Oh God, please. And it is when you are at the height, the peak of that climax and pleasure that the fangs come out. Whether or not you are aware of them, have the, the mind, the conscious thought 
to be able to recognize the danger. I don't see them. You may not even feel much pain as his teeth sink into your neck. I do, but it's good. It's good pain. It's very much like a tactic used by pickpockets to excite a certain area so that when other sensations are applied, you recognize it as a previous sensation. While you may feel the pain, you don't necessarily recognize it for what it is. That is, until your strength begins to sap away, cold begins to replace that heat that had been building in you like this boiler, and now you're in the deep freeze. And with that, I'll arch my back and reach back with my hands, trying to feel what's going on. He rests your hands down, and his grip is immutable. His fingers like iron bands that that have trapped you. All I can do is comply. He pulls away briefly. What? No fight? No passion left in you? Okay, then. And I'll fight, if that's what he wants. And I will blow back with my head, connecting with his. Give me a lash out physically. That's a nine. On a nine, you do harm, but you choose one of three. Now, since you're not a vampire yet, your darkest self probably would not apply here. Right. So, either I determine how bad the harm turns out, or you reveal something about your true nature, but something about who you are in this moment. Yeah, I think I think I reveal something about my true nature. You slam your head back and connect with his face. However you feel about that, you hear him spit and sputter before he begins to chuckle. <laughs> yes, there is violence in you. Good. He spins you around, still holding on to you with the strongest grip you've ever felt. You feel like he could throw you around like a rag doll. And when you look at the damage you've done, he's got a bloody nose. Does it drip? It does. I look it up and then stare him in the eye. The playful cat-got-a-mouse look that he had on his face shatters. And a look of intense anger replaces it. How dare you! That strength that had been holding you is applied with torque. And there is a popping. Oh no. The most excruciating pain that you might have ever felt ripples up your arms. Ah! He releases your limbs, now broken where he had held you. The palm of his hand connects with your sternum with such force that more popping is heard just as you go sailing through the air. I guess I'm not okay. How and where do I land? You land in the coffee table in front of the fireplace. I guess that means I probably take a harm, huh? At least one. Yeah, I was thinking more than one, like two. Oh, God. Yep. Do I have at least one functioning arm? Not particularly. And before you can recover, 
he is already standing over you, in which he grabs your neck, lifts you up, and bears you toward the fireplace on the wall. He presses something in the mantle, and the floor in front of the fireplace drops open into darkness, and he holds you over it. You are backlit by the licking flames of the fire. What? Why? Why? You have taken something, and now we'll see if you're strong enough to deserve it. And he drops you into that void beneath your feet. You fall probably 10 feet before you land on something both hard but soft at the same time. Tumble down what feels to be some sort of mound before coming to a stop. Can I see? There is a dim light briefly before the trapdoor shuts. And you can see that the mound that you just rolled down was a pile of corpses. And the freshest ones all have blonde hair and similar body types. Oh god. And even through your pain, excruciating as it is, you feel something, something inside you changing. Something burning its way through you. And that burn becomes a hunger gnawing its way through you and growing with each passing minute in the dark. And that's where we'll end. Thank you so much for listening to our final All Our Faults Prelude. A big thank you to the Tabletop Tailspinners and Creative Director Emma Kokar for giving us a home and a voice. This episode starred Juicy Garland, who can be found on Instagram, X, and Blue Sky at Juicy Garland. I can be found on X, Blue Sky, and Instagram at GMistressWinter. If you would like to support the show, you can find the Tabletop Tailspinners link tree in the show notes, including our Ko-Fi site. Please donate if you enjoy this content. It really helps us cover the production costs so that we can continue to bring you great stories. Also, please give us a good rating, comment, and tell your friends to give us a listen. Then you can speculate together on what the full episodes will bring on Wednesday, November 15th. More stories from the Tabletop Tailspinners Network, both present and future, will include the Chronicles of Kriath, Improv Madness, Darkened Skies, a 10 Candle series, and many more. Until next time, we recommend not leaving clubs with strangers. It probably won't be good for your health. This has been a tale from the Tabletop Tailspinners Network.